Welcome back, everybody. We have Jacob Budin in the house today. This stud has uh, been a buddy of mine for a few years, and he played professional baseball for about three and a half, four years, or I think it was four seasons with the St. Louis Cards organization. Um, Budin's just a funny guy. He's a uh, He's goofy and a fun time to be around, and he uh, he's really active. He's he's in tune with his fitness. He's been traveling around, learning new things and gaining new experiences. And you know he's got doing a little bit of photography. He's diving into, and he's really trying to become aware of his meditation and dial in that practice. And you know there's just a lot of different things we get into in this episode. So let's get it going. If you want to hear about Boone's baseball journey and his career. We get into that in the latter part of the episode, so stick around for that. But let's get right into it. We got Jacob Budin. Let's go. Let's go, let's go. Welcome, everybody. I am sitting here with the man, Jacob Budin. How we doing, bud? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Just uh, another day in uh, in the life of the coronavirus, right? <laughs> oh my God, we are in wild times over here. Uh, I this guy is big. I forget every time I see you, man. You just look so big, and you look good. You look Appreciate like you've been working it, out. Yeah, you know, training. You know, body by Tim Pupak, uh, per, per usual. Uh, Got to throw his name out there. Um, yeah, dude, six eight. You know, yeah. about two fifty right now. Throwing heat. Wow. That was in the past. Back in the day? What were you throwing back in the day? <laughs> um, you know, back in the day, I'd top out upper 90s, right? Like, so okay. I probably sit consistently like 94, 96. And there's times where, you know, you could run it up a little bit above that. So, uh, dang, bro. That's, yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, uh, it was some good times back then. That's moving it. So for Carver right now, not quite hitting the 98s anymore? <laughs> no, no, not throwing that hard for Carver anymore. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. Like nobody has a radar gun out there, and it's it's town ball, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Um, you know, Sam Warner, who you've had on the podcast, Sammy, like, he's the uh, he's he's predominantly the catcher. So like, I'd probably say you're throwing like I'm throwing like upper 80s to like low 90s, probably like 92, 93. So uh, that's after not throwing a baseball for four years. So right. <laughs> got a little gas in the tank, but so you took um, four years off, huh? I mean, yeah, you kind of got to separate yourself a little bit from the game. Um, yeah. When you, you know, I guess you can call it getting released or retired or however you want to, you know, frame it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I just needed a little break away from the game. And it's not like I don't enjoy baseball or don't enjoy watching or throwing, but like from a competitive outlet, um, I think Minnesota is unique in that stance of having like men's league or having this town ball, right? Yeah. So, uh, my arm obviously hurts when I throw, so it's part of part of partly like, okay, do I want to put my arm into a situation where I could like injure it worse, right? Or you know, do I want to go out there and compete? So um, had to take a little bit of time off and let myself recover a little bit and kind of like take that degree of separation away from the game to reflect and you know move on with life, you know. I think as an athlete, though, that's just like everyone who plays college ball, you kind of come to that realization. It's a tough time. For me, it was football, and sure. it's time to make a shift. And for you, it was a little bit later in life. Uh, what did you dive into, or how was that process of switching from baseball to next? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's difficult because I don't think it's ever on the forefront of my mind, um, you know, when you're playing. So um, 
the, the first train of thought is okay, like what do I want to get into, right? Or what kind of position and job do um, I want to take as the next step for my career? And so um, I guess kind of like the pretty standard route is sales, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's funny because I'm like, I had no idea what staffing and what that industry was, but it's like you get a million calls from different staffing agencies and, um, you know, I had a couple interviews, uh, for as like a loan officer down in Kansas city, which actually they offered me the job. Okay. Um, I had a couple offers here in Chicagoland area. Um, but I, uh, ended up moving down to South Florida permanently. Um, so I'd been on, on and off there for five years with spring training being located in West Palm beach. So yes, sir. I actually took a job with a company called insight global insight. Uh, yes. Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, you know, if, you know what, it, it's funny. Cause like a lot of my friends are from insight global. Um, but uh, you know, I wouldn't have changed the decision, um, you know, if, if I could. So it's been, it's been a cool, interesting ride with that company when I worked for them. Um, but yeah, I moved down to South Florida. Uh, basically, they work with um, small and big companies uh, to help find placements, uh, predominantly in their IT industry, but they have other subsections or subcategories right. like accounting and finance and stuff like that. So um, it's just a matter of finding talent. And so I was a recruiter there for a while. Um, and after like six or seven months of recruiting, uh, I actually got an offer to move to Minnesota. Uh, to be an account executive or account manager um, and have my own territory and, and kind of get into the actual selling role. And that's what got you up here. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, it was a kind of a crazy, crazy twist. You know, I mean, I moved to South Florida thinking I'd be there for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years of my I mean, life. West minimum. Palm Beach is amazing, too. Yeah, that's where I go in the winter. Yeah, so. it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. So, uh, I was actually living in Delray, but I mean, it's 20 minutes south of West Palm. So, yeah. uh, it's actually a really, really nice um at least during the winter time. So yes. summertime is kind of crazy hot. Yeah. Uh, so insight brought so, you up here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it happened, uh, like within 10 day process, like oh, wow. I got pulled into the back room, asked if I wanted to make a decision, which was on a Thursday. I gave my decision to them that next, th- this coming Sunday. And then when I got to the, the office on the Monday, the guy that, um, had wanted me to move up to Minnesota was like, Hey, I need you there by next Monday. Dang. And I was like, I've got seven days to pack up. Like, nobody in the office knows I'm moving, right? So pack up my stuff. I got to deal with my lease. Like, move. put all my stuff yeah. in a box. Like, it was crazy. So You've been, man, moving around a lot. Like, traveling for baseball and then yeah. moving. That's crazy. I mean, I basically lived my life out of a bag. Yeah. You know, through, from college all the way through, you know, baseball. And um, even when I was in South Florida, it's like I owned a bed and a dresser and I had my bag of clothes, right? Right. So I didn't like have much, but it was just a matter of, okay, I'm in South Florida and I got to get all the way up to Minnesota, which I'd never been to, by the way. Oh, no way. First time. First time ever. I was like, oh, I guess this is going to be my new home. So, um, yeah, I moved up here, um, worked with Insight Global for about, I don't know, probably like a year and a half um, in the selling role. And then, you know, it, it was just one of those things where I was kind of, beat and kind of exhausted from the selling grind and um, long days isn't it yeah you know i mean just long days and it's just one of those things where i don't think my heart was in it yeah and i don't think it was fair for the people i worked with as well as the management for me to continue to working where my passion and my heart wasn't there uh you know on the job mm-hmm. um yeah so i you know i, I decided to go towards 
something a little bit more stable from uh, a profession. And I took a job as an IT project manager at Best Buy headquarters uh, through Insight Global, ironically. Nice. Yeah, so they placed me there. Um, and then, like, Nine months into the job, a company called E3 Retail, who is their retail solutions provider, basically they develop all of the point of sale solutions and like offer management solutions and a couple other uh, products embedded in Best Buy's infrastructure. Um, they approached me with a full time offer. Uh, you know, I guess they you know like what I was doing at Best Buy. You know, for the limited time I was there, and so essentially I'm working on site at Best Buy for E3 retail, almost in the same capacity, like doing project management, you know, like liaison client management work as well. So I got to imagine you really enjoy the security that you have now. I mean, coming from professional ball, one bag, like now you're, you have a place to stay, you're settled in like consistent paycheck. Like you said, I mean, that's got to feel nice to like have a career path and feel a little steady. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, you know, it's funny because like part of me always has this like, man, like I wish I could take a little bit more risks and go back into sales, right? You earn more money based on the commission and stuff like that. Um, but the, the stability is nice and I wanted to experience what that was like, right? I wanted to understand, okay, when I have a stable life and I'm not moving around and I'm not living out of a suitcase um, or my bags are getting lost at the airport and not, you know, having <laughs> clean clothes, dude, it's a crazy story, but I won't get into it right now. Um, but like... You know, knowing that I have like possessions, like that I that I have owned more than a bed and a dresser, right? Like, um, mm. I, I think that there's some comfortability into it, but right. it also now creates responsibility too. So, um, to keep that that comfort level and to and to keep that stability in the job, and so it's not like I'm comfortable at work. It's where I, it's a point to where like I want to continue to get better and to continue to learn. So that stability and that comfort level continues to grow. Right. But it's like if you become settled, like that's when you become lackadaisical and that's when, you know, things don't work out the way that you want them to because you kind of like lose sight of what your uh, end goal is or lose sight of what you're supposed to be doing in the present moment. Right. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I want to have you on, man. You're, you're all about growing and getting better and like, you're passionate. You're out there living, and and although it's maybe more of a steady role, you know, in a corporate job, like you bring that mindset, and I love it. And you've also been traveling. Like you're taking advantage of this time too. I mean, you've been traveling around. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I had the obviously the opportunity to travel domestically. You know, on someone else's dime. You know, I wouldn't say it's like vacation travel, but yeah, you know, it's through baseball. I got to see some places I never would, right, or live places I never thought I would live, um, and. I've always like been interested in international travel. Um, but like, and like it was kind of like, okay, I actually have to buy the ticket and like, you know, take that, to, like, that leap forward. And, and it's like, what do I want to do when I go international? Like have a, you know, what, what, what do I want to experience? Um, and it's funny. I mean, I live with him now, but you know, Tim Pupak is, uh, quite the adventurer and, you know, I've been he, hearing his name a lot, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's definitely, uh, you know, got an interesting, like, you know, career in the sense of, you know, what he's been accomplishing, you know, in his last call it like five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. um, but he's the one that probably like pushed me to go international and like visit him while he was on a year and a half, essentially year and a half, like hiatus from work, right? A yes. sabbatical. And That's he's unreal. like 27. Unreal. Um, so he was like, hey, come visit me in Thailand. Like, let's just go. 
And I was like, all right, like, you know, like I'll think about it. And so basically like, I, yeah, he bought my ticket for me. He's like, you're going on this day and this time. What? And like, this is cause I like, I gave him like a, a length of time of when I could go or like uh, periods of time. Yeah. He's like, he just bought it. So like he at least bought my one way there. So I was like, all right, well I'm committed now. Right. Yeah. You're going. Um, so we did like three weeks, maybe a little bit, yeah, like a little over three weeks in uh, Thailand and Cambodia, which was super cool. Um, and so we don't amazing. do like the classic, like stay in nice places. Like it was like hostile life and not that hostels were bad. It's just, it's different, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like a community and uh, the people that you meet in hostels, you know, they might not be like, they're they're different, right? And they're different in a good way, right? Like I have, stayed in a few when I was in Italy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that like majority of them. Obviously, you're on vacation, so you're in a good mood. But like, there's just a different like positive outlook on things, and and there's more like openness to communicating with random people. And I think that's why you go stay in a hostel is to meet people and yeah. to understand where they come from and um, different cultural differences and um, you know in a positive light. Absolutely, force uh, you to meet people, interact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it was cool. And then we, that was, I left on Thanksgiving night, like at midnight of 2018. And then I also in July left for like two and a half weeks to go to uh, Europe and seeing him on the, basically his same trip. But okay. I went to Europe, we did Amsterdam, Berlin, uh, Salzburg, Austria, and then uh, Budapest, Hungary. Sweet. And did the same kind of like, night buses like yeah. you know super you know cheap way modes of transportation yes. um and they're staying hostels and stuff like that and so you're like hiking and traveling around the day yeah yeah i mean there's never there's never like an off time or off period of like the whole travel wasn't like let's go relax by the pool it's like let's go see stuff like let's go do things yes. and like experience stuff so uh you know it, it was nice and i kind of like got this like travel bug and itch to like go experience things and um, I think seeing the world in someone else's point of view is, uh, is almost critical, right? Like, and this is no knock, I think on Minnesota, right? Like, uh, I, you know, Minnesota does not have a lot of, I would say cultural diversity from mm -hmm. a major city standpoint. Like if I go to Chicago or New York, right, you have, you know, these little pockets of subcultures, right? Absolutely. And you can get a little taste of how that is, right? Where I don't think Minnesota has that. And not to say that's a good or bad thing, right? It's it's just different. It's its own little community of of differences. And I think that Minnesota's culture has its pros and cons and Chicago has its pros and cons. And, you know, Europe, places in Europe has its pros and cons. But um, I mean, I agree. I love Minnesota, everything about the community here, but it's definitely a lot of similarities. Yeah. You know, and, and then be me being someone that's not from here. Like I noticed them at a higher scale, like, or, or a more consistent, sorry, that's a better way to put it. Like more consistent frequent scale. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, I think like getting out and if, you know, you have the means and the opportunity to go right. Um, to like a Cambodia or, um, uh, a second to slash third world country, like it's important, right? Because the people that work there, I mean, they grind, right? They, they live off $4 a day. And I mean, you want to talk about poverty, like that is like, you're making dirt, like Nothing. you're not making anything. And it's like, and you're going all day, right? And you're going all day. And the place where you sleep is the same place as the kitchen. It's the same place that you're serving people. Cause it's a restaurant and it's the same place that, you know, you've got 
five, six family members, you know, running around, right? Like everything is in under one roof. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's like they don't or they might not know any better because like that's what they're born into, right? Um, and I'm not to say that they're all happy and they're all, you know, in this positive mind frame, but, you know, you meet people and like you meet locals and you understand who they are a little bit or, you know, what they're doing. And like, they're predominantly like a happy group of people, right? Nice. They're like, they're totally content. And you're like, man, like I take a lot of things that I have and like a lot of the uh, accessibility and availabilities that I have in the United States. And it's like, man, like I don't need this to like survive and like live a fulfilling life. Um, and, it's and not wild. To, yeah. And, you know, again, like not to say that three week trip, or whatever is just like enlightening moment where I'm like changing everything about myself, but you need those moments in life to say, Hey, like maybe I can reflect on that and like make some sort of change or like understand that, like, since I backpacked, right. Um, I don't need all the stuff that I own, right? Like I backpacked and with four pairs of shorts, four pairs of shirts and four pairs of underwear for 22 days. Right. And I was fine and nobody cared. Nobody, yeah, nobody judged. Nobody, nobody was wondering what, if I was matching or not. Like I washed my clothes obviously, but like whatever, like you get back home and you're like, dude, all my stuff, like I don't need it, you know? And I think again, now that I've been back in the United States and I haven't traveled in a while or, you know, I have these long periods of times, I, I, I fall back into that consumerism, right. Of like accruing things and building things back yeah. up and you, and it's hard because it's like, it's just what we do. Like, oh, I want that new shirt. I want this mm -hmm. new whatever. Right. And it's like, I mean, I just bought new training shoes. Right. So like, it, it's not that I disagree with buying stuff because it's like, if I want to buy something that I need or want, like, that's fine. But it's about doing it at, you know, thinking about what you want and, um, making sure that, you know, if you want to buy it, you know, you can, if you've got the means to buy it, that's fine. But, um, what do you need? But well, yeah, it's more about like, what do you really need? Right. Like, do you really need this to like fulfill a void or fulfill a gap of uh, a hanger in your closet? Like, you know, it's yeah, dude, in the last two years, I've been totally trying to go this way with getting rid of stuff. Like I've condensed my shirts down. I got rid of all my video game, like a lot of the technology. And, and I think like when we get back into our routines, then you kind of just adapt to your environment. So you go back into your normal way of life, but hundred percent. Finding ways to get perspective like that because you can have people tell you, you could listen to a podcast, you can hear it, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you need to have the perspective. But once you're there, like you said, and you see it, and the more times you can continue to put yourself in that situation, I think the more perspective and the more you feel fulfilled in those type of things. No, I totally agree. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was a cool experience. I mean, you know, obviously Europe's a little bit more westernized, but, um, you know, the people that you meet and the people that you come across and, I think that they think the same way in a sense too. Um, but they also live differently as well. Like, I don't know if I saw like a home with like an acre and a half plotted land in Europe. Right. You know, mm -hmm. outside of the farm country. Right. Like we're not yeah. talking about these massive homes that like, nobody, nobody needs a five bedroom, five bath house. Yeah. Like, for you, sure. know, like, you don't need that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, if you have the means and you want to buy it, fine. Like that's your prerogative, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the quality of life over there is just so much different. Like they, 
in certain parts of Europe, like they have rules where you can only work 40 hours a week and you get so much chunk paid vacation. Right. And like having emails at this hours of the day is like illegal. Like you can't do it. Right. Yeah. I I think it's, it's, it's understanding and knowing that we don't like that our society, that our little like bubble of United States society isn't like the only thing out there. Mm -hmm. And there's a million different cultures and, Again, this isn't like obviously everybody people know this, right? That people live differently, and you know, there's poverty struck in areas. But um, to experience it is important, I think, and to yes. understand, like, to get out of you know where you live at, right, and to possibly see how people live and and how they um, have adapted to their lifestyle, mm-hmm. but also are relatively like at peace with it, right? They're not. They're not trying to like overthink things and overcomplicate things, right? It, it is what it is. Well, and I think we the world we live in here is pretty amazing, dude. I love it here. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is no knock on the United States. Yeah, like, it's you know the best place to live, right? The best place to work, but you can take things away from those cultures and make your situation better, make right. your environment better, totally, which is awesome, dude. So, you've been getting around, and that's kind of like all the traveling is that's where this photography stuff is kind of pulled from. You know, I've took some take. I took some photography classes in college. Um, I've always like had this like underlying little passion for it, or underlying little like I'll be driving to work and be like, oh, like that'd been like cool place to stop and like take a picture, like that moment in time, right? Like yeah. wherever, right? And I was like, man, like I want to capture those sometimes, and um, like the iPhone just doesn't do like do justice, I guess, in my perspective. For sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just something that I'm like looking into and like getting into and like learning a lot about. And, uh, it's one of those expensive hobbies that it's going to take a long time to like accrue the right equipment. Right. It's not um, like I've got the means to drop thousands of dollars on different types of lenses for different types of shots. But, um, you know, it, it's something, yeah, something that I'm looking forward to, to continue to pursue and, uh, yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. The boot and lens is what yeah. you call it right <laughs> on <laughs> social media. <laughs> So you kind of like like um, like landscape pictures and stuff. Do you have like any aspirations to any sort of aspects of photography you like to go into, or is uh, whatever? You know, I mean, I do like landscape. Um, it, it it that almost captures in my perspective of like your entire surrounding of where you are, and to get a feel for okay, like what 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 am I capturing? I'm capturing not just like a single being or single object. I'm capturing the entire you know peripheral point of view that I see from my own perspective. Um, I think portraits, I mean, I really like portraits, but, um, again, it's a matter of like finding subjects and just what I really would like to do is more or less like street photography. Oh, okay. Um, whereas like, it'd be cool to like kind of just walk around the street and have, you know, I would need a different lens, but it's to take pictures of people in their natural everyday environment, like without them knowing that I'm actually taking a picture. Right. So yeah. I think like people in their purest form is is something that it's nice to reflect on and like maybe put yourself in their shoes. Right. Or put yourself into the perspective of something else. Right. So that's so uh, pure, man. I yeah, love that. Yeah. So like, I think I like street photography because it's not this stage setup of look a certain way, you know, put a certain smile on, like, this is like real life. Right. And I think that's pretty cool of a uh, p- pretty cool thing to capture. Right. Have you ever seen the secret life of Walter Mitty? You know what? I haven't. That's with uh, Ben Stiller, right? Yes. Bro, that's one of my favorite movies. It's like kind of weird, yeah. but it's kind of like the same person, like the essence of life. And it, it's sure. a photographer that's like, 
what you're saying, dude. I think you'd enjoy that one. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's a dope movie. All right. So also with photography, I mean, we talked a little bit about meditation and the power of kind of you've you've adopted it and made it a serious, you know, the mindfulness approach in your life. Like, uh, sure. What's that look like for you? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I guess get to like back up into why I like I kind of got into it, right? So um, I like to do sensory deprivation floats. So okay. essentially it's like a float tank. You can go to like a spa that has what you call a float tank. And it's essentially called like 10 to 12 inches of water, heated up to your body temperature. And there's about 800 to a thousand pounds of Epsom salt in, nice. in that tank or in the, the, the bath or whatever you want to call it. Right. Okay. I'm, um, yeah. I, this is all new to me. So yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's different types of pods or different types of baths or, you know, however you want to label the, the place where you float. But um, yeah, so again, the, the, the water's heated up to your body temperature. There's a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. Um, and so essentially like you go in there to your level of comfortability. Like I go in naked because it's just like, I don't want anything disrupting what, it, you know, I don't want anything disrupting like an outside force disrupting what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. So you're you trying go, to get rid of all your senses. Yeah. Right? Your basically. Senses. Yeah. So like. It's funny. Cause like I listened to this, you know, to Joe Rogan talk about it and I think he puts it like really like in a, in a perfect, you know, description. And, um, I mean, you, when you lay down, it's so buoyant that you float. Right. So, okay. I mean, it's, it's so buoyant cause it's a, you know, seven foot wide by 10 foot long, you know, tank or pod or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And after about, and the lights are, it's completely pitch black. Right. And when the lights go off and you can get settled and lay on your back, I mean, like, five minutes into it, you don't know the difference between your body and the water, right? Wow. Yeah, so, like, what I've read about is, like, it's close to resembling what it was like in the womb when you were in the womb of your mother, right? Yeah. when you're in that tank, there's no gravitational forces, right? You can't hear the white light noise or the white noise from the lights uh, in the room. Like, you don't hear the cars passing by. Like, when you meditate, like, those distractions are still there. Right. So what happened is I've been doing it for like three or four years now, probably more like five or six. And how well, often do you go? Well, I used to go a lot when I lived in Florida. Um, when I came up here, I didn't do it as much. And I kind of had just started getting back into it. And then this whole COVID thing kind of came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was maybe like seven or eight months ago, six or seven months ago that I had gotten into meditation and the thought of it, right? And I went into the tank um, and I was like, let me do a 90-minute session. I really want to um, focus on letting go, right? And Joe Rogan's like, every time you go, it's like peeling back a layer of the onion. And that core of that onion is like the center of consciousness of your brain, right? So when you go in there and you try to really let go and like let your brain you know, think on its own and without having like that song stuck in your head or thinking about what you did yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow, right? Like when you let go, you can only do it for like five, maybe 10 minutes at a time. And then you'll snap right back into the present, right? Your eyes will be open. You'd be like, whoa, like, okay, and now I need to reset and take a deep breath and like settle back into it because you just like, your body's not used to being in this state of you know, your senses being deprived. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I go into this tank and I've learned a couple like breathing meditation techniques or, you know, things of, uh, you know, mindfulness of, of how to think and how to focus on your breath. And dude, like 
the amount of chaos in my, in my head and in my brain that time of when I was in that tank, I was like, I gotta like, I gotta dial it back. And what I mean by that is like, there's so many thoughts that I was unaware of that are just going on in my head. Like one after the other, after the other, like your brain always works. Yeah. Like what kind of thought? Just like little ones, like what do you need to pick up? It's just like, like, it could have been anything. It could have been like, oh, like I really like that song or, um, you know, I, I can't believe I went to the bar last night or, uh, you know, just what am I going to do to this conversation, this hard conversation I have to have with a, uh, a relative or a loved one. Right. Like just like stuff. Like, I mean, and we're talking like tons and tons of thoughts. Right. And it's not that I didn't notice them before. I just didn't realize how powerful they were. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, to me, I was like, wow, I got out of that. It was a really therapeutic session. Um, was really relaxed afterwards, you know, was able to kind of calm down my train of thought. Uh, and I was like, oh, like, let me get back in. Let me like really take meditation, you know, pretty seriously. And um, there's been some weeks where I haven't done it as much as I want to. But, you know, every morning when I wake up, at least I try, you know, at least five times a week is to um, take 15 to 20 minutes and focus on whatever, whether it's mindfulness or concentration or loving kindness type of of meditation, right? And those are your kind of three core subject areas within meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just kind of like push the reset button before the day even starts, right. To like, let myself get into the day, have a clear mind, have a good feeling, like be positive, you know, cause like, I'm just so, I was so used to like waking up, going to the shower, rushing to dressed, work, just getting you know, like, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you don't even have time to like settle into yourself. Right. And, and to regather your thoughts and, when you sit there and you close your eyes and you have these internal cues of your normal breath going in and then out. Right. And then you just kind of like focus on one thing or, um, you're, you're trying to get in that meditative state Dude, 20 minutes is a long time to not do anything. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, to me, it was like, Oh my gosh, like when is this over? So like, I would encourage people to just try to sit there for five minutes and not think about anything. Like, Every right. time you have a thought, you have to get your mind back to clarity. Yeah, you go back into, so it's like, you know, mindfulness is to understand that thought or to identify that thought and then to go back into the breath, right? So, okay, I, I see the thought, I felt the thought, I understand that thought, you know, some, your brains go off in tangents, dude. Like 20 minutes, like I still do this all the time where the first 10 minutes are really clear and 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 really, really blissful, but the second five or, you know, that back half of that meditative sequencing is like chaos. Like I like don't even realize I just went on this mindful tangent of like, you know, chicken tenders or whatever, yeah, whatever you know what about. I mean? And you're yeah. like, it's, but it's about identifying that tangent that your brain goes on and then coming back to the breath. Right. And that's mindfulness. Right. That's how you get better at meditation. Mindfulness right. is yeah. identifying, becoming aware. Right. Like, Oh, my nose itches. Right. Okay. Well, Open yourself up to that itch, right? Don't touch it. Open yourself up, right? Understand that feeling, and then that feeling will go away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it just does. And like, or if you have tightness in your chest, right? Like focus on the tightness of your chest, right? And then come back to the breath when you're done. And you know, you're almost like, well, like that was weird. Like that tightness is gone, and like I don't have to think about that anymore, right? So I'm now back to the breath and back to, you know, really getting into that mindful mindful state. I mean, think how powerful that routine is for just like your mental ability and just the awareness of your own body. Like 
how many people spend time to just think about what they're feeling and not try to fix the problems, but actually just like be aware and like feel pain and like become aware of your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I think we do have cluttered brains, right? We have cluttered thoughts and cluttered minds, and I, I, I'm a victim of it, and I don't think anybody's not, right? Oh my god, I struggle all the time. Yeah, and uh, I think it's important to understand that, like, the things that we do, the actions that we take. I would probably say a lot of them are off of impulse, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not talking about going to get a cup of water. Like, I'm talking about the actions that we make in our day, you know, that are that are you know relatively important, right? Like, the decision making. Like, our brain's just churning. Our brain's going and constantly moving, right? And we make decisions and we make, you know, actions off of those. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. To prove your, just to validate your point here, I was listening to Dr. Joe Dispenza actually, and he says that 95% of decisions we make every day is based off of your feeling in the moment. 95%. Uh, that is 100% true, right? And that's like kind of scary, right? So, I mean, think about that. 95 of the decisions, 95% of the decisions you make are off of impulse. Right. Impulse, right? Like, again, you there's a lot of times that you sit back think about okay what do i need to do or how do i approach the situation but majority of the time it's like why don't we have the ability or why can't we have the ability to really like sit back okay that thought came into my head i know that's not really what i want to do and i recognize i had that thought but i'm going to go a different route mm. right and you have to have that internal dialogue right before making the decision or you should at least have that internal dialogue instead of saying, okay, that thought came into my head, I'm going to execute on it. Yeah, you for know? sure. And it's hard. It's really complicated because that almost in turn puts more stress onto the thought process of what should I do. But it's not about like what's right or wrong. I mean, obviously, like you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't, you don't murder, right? Like those are like, I'm not talking about those. Those are like above this like yeah, circle yeah, yeah. of our conversation, but like, or outside of the circle of our conversation, but like it, it's, it's more or less about like, what do I want to do? Like, what is going to be fulfilling to me? Like, well, let me ask you this. Do you think people are afraid to feel those things? Like people are afraid to dive that deep and actually create awareness about what they're doing. Cause the answers they find might be scary. Yeah. I mean, uh, totally a hundred percent. Right. I'm, I'm scared to find the answer sometimes too. Right. And I still have problems with that. And like, I don't, Claims that six months of meditating, you know, doesn't cure all all things, but right. um, it definitely helps in the sense of okay, like I don't want to be selfish in a lot of mm. the decisions that I make. Sometimes I have to be right. There's an understanding you have to be like it's yeah. your life, right? So you know, the other other side of it is okay. Like I want to be empathetic and and having this loving and kindness. So like, is the decision I'm making benefiting me? Is it hurting somebody else? Right. And if it is hurting somebody else, to what extent? Right. And if it's not hurting somebody else, am I benefiting somebody else to this as well? Mm. Right. And so, like, you have to think about, okay, the decisions that I make, what are the, what are the effects that are going to happen by making the decision? Right. There might not be any, like, could be super simple. Right. Yeah. But it's like, you get a call and it's like, hey, you know, Austin, like, let's go to the bowling alley. Right. And you're like, I'm down. Like that's, I wanted to go. And then 10 minutes later, someone else texts you. You're like, Hey, like, let's go to the bars. And you're conflicted because you want to go to the bars now more than you want to go bowling. But now you're like, okay, what decision do I make? Cause now you've told somebody committed to something. Right. And like, 
if you're based off your morals and your morality is based off of commitment, like that's like maybe what you should do, right? Or or it's about being open and clear and honest. Say like, hey, like I know I committed to this bowling thing. Something else came up that I, you know, want to do as well. And I think I'm going to go choose that, right? Like that's kind of a hard conversation because whoever just invited you to bowling is going to be like, but what the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to be a little bit confrontational and that's tough to be that honest. Yeah. And I mean, like I'm very like, bad at being confrontational, right? So I've gone into the route of, okay, like if I committed to something, like when it comes to a social setting, like I'll commit to that, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's something, you know, maybe I can shuffle around or if it's an arrangement I can shuffle around and something else pops up, I do that. But um, but I think that's so cool that you've had these conversations with yourself and you like go through these steps and you know that now like your commitment's your bond, you don't want to break that, but you've gone so many levels deep to like, this is what you're going to do and this is why I'm going to make the decision. It's not just like, well, I'm going because I go. Right, yeah. And I mean, again, and I fall back into that trap as well of like making the impulse choices too. But again, you know, there's big decisions in life and there's small decisions in life. And the big ones obviously require train of thought and require, uh, you know, maybe writing out the pros and cons. But the smaller decisions, I think like those are the ones that fill up our head, right? And those are the ones that can be blockers into finding like happiness, right? Like, you know, worrying too much about what people think or worrying about too much what their reactions are going to be when you do A or B or whatever it is, right? Like those things like eat at people's, at their minds and that can be unhealthy, right? And you do have to worry about yourself a little bit. You have to be a little bit selfish. Like I- I agree, totally. And like, for example, I used to like fib a little bit to like my friend, like if a friend was like, hey, want to come over to do this, whatever, this night I used to be like, ah, no, maybe not. Just because- I had something else going on or I wanted to do work or I just wanted to be by myself, you know, and I would just fib just to make it easy because then you don't have to have the conversation. And like, I've really been trying to practice and be better at just being like, you know what, dude, I don't want to come over. I want to go home and I want to work on my podcast for two hours. Yeah. I appreciate you. And like your good friends and the ones that want the best for you and the best for them, they'll get in and be like, oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. They'll become understanding of what your priorities are. Right. And it's important, right? Like again, and I've, Again, with this whole baseball thing in the past, and it's like, okay, well, it's not my present anymore. I can't live in the past. So I now have to find something that's going to fill the void of passion for me or something that I can dive into, right? And whether that is meditation or some sort of photography or whatever it is, right? Like those are the things that like I need to focus on because if I'm not pursuing something, then like what's the point? You're dying. Yeah, yeah, you know? And seriously, it's like, I don't want to become this robot and go to work, make food, watch TV, go to sleep. Like that's not that's that's. I see that in you, dude. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, love watching TV and Netflix and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, there's a time and place. I think, right? Absolutely. Playing video games or whatever it is, but um, yeah, I think like having something to to learn and to to grow upon and grow that knowledge base is, is critical. So the sensory deprivation pods, they're tight, huh? We have to look those out. Yeah, no, I mean, I like, I'm a super big advocate for them. And, uh, you know, it's like 90 minute session. You could probably get it for like 60 or 70 bucks, right? I mean, I recommend somebody going for 60 minutes their first time because it's quite uncomfortable, right? You know, it it just takes a little bit of time to get used to. To practice. Um, Yeah, to practice and to identify and understand what it is like to really let your brain work and like let go i mean yeah i mean it sounds weird right but like had had multiple times of like out-of-body experiences wow. or like 
just crazy thought process where you just kind of like dive into those thoughts and you're just like, it's hard to explain unless you like have been there, I guess. I don't know. You it just know, sounds like a powerful experience. Yeah. And so like when you get out of it and you, you wash the salt off, it's like almost like feeling water for the first time. It's mm. so weird. It's so weird. But that sleep, that night of sleep afterwards is the best night of sleep you could ever have. But you're super relaxed. You're super, um, you're just in a like, super meditative state or almost like this like zombie-ish state. Yeah. But you're aware of your surroundings and you can just like, yeah, you just kind of float literally throughout the rest of the day and you're in a good mood and nothing really kind of brings you down, right? It's a good You probably escape. feel really just within yourself after that. So relaxed and just so much more clear. Yeah, yeah, it's super clear, and, and it's it's a good way to um, kind of hit that reset button and, and refresh. And um, yeah, I definitely promote it to, to anybody that that is curious about it. Um, yeah, so we were just talking, you know, about passion. Like, you need to feel like you're moving forward. Um, you need to feel like you're putting that energy into something. And you mentioned a, a little bit of coaching, kind of giving back your baseball knowledge or sure helping people the other day. I thought this was a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about kind of what you're thinking with just kind of. Uh, baseball. Yeah, so to to keep it short and sweet, hopefully, um, <laughs> essentially, like you know, I've done private lessons, um, you know, on and off for seven or eight years, right? Um, and I usually am upfront to the parents to say, hey, uh, after six or seven weeks, right? Like if your kid is not progressing, I will work with them anymore, right? And private lessons for any sport, right? Doesn't matter the 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour that you go to a private lesson and your parents or you're the one paying 65, 70, a hundred dollars an hour, whatever it is, right. For you to invest that much money and for the kid to not practice during the week is a disservice, right? Yes. What's the point? You know what I mean? They're not going to actually get better and do the things that we're working on. Right. So if you can't practice like, then then why are you going to the 30 minutes a day for the 13 year old? There's no way they're going to retain that and then come back a week later and improve upon it. So you can go to the next thing. So my thought process is, you know, I worked with the YZ youth association um, with a couple camps this winter, this fall and winter. Um, And my thought process was like the things that I've learned and not to pass it off to someone who's coaching or someone who wants to learn it, it would be a disservice, right? So my thought process is to not overcomplicate things, right? And as a pitcher, um, it's understanding how to throw and the throwing motion. And the amount of kids that I see that don't know how to throw a baseball, like we're not talking about a lot of weight here, right? We're talking like whatever it is, like five ounces, right? But as a kid, when you're four or five years old, you don't have the muscle ability and the cognitive ability to throw the ball the right way. Yeah. So you have to be taught how to throw it. And you adapt well, or whatever. Right, you adapt. And so if I'm six and I've got an older brother who's 10 and the 10-year-old obviously can throw further, right? At six years old, I'm I am in a crucial point of developing these fundamental skills of um, repetitive motions, right? So everything, everybody knows you learn things better at a younger age. So if my 10-year-old has a stronger arm and I want to get it to him or her, like I need to muscle up and alter my motion in order so like in order to play catch. Well, those repetitions are now being detrimental to that kid's growth in yes. appropriate mechanics. <laughs> and I'm not saying like kids don't be kids, you have to be structured every time you throw, but what I want to do is I want to uh, you know, I'm planning on 
hosting basically presentations or classes for the youth coaches and the dads that do help out and coach and have myself show them how to identify potential mechanical issues, show them how to create a throwing structural program for the age groups that they're coaching, right? Make sure that they're not throwing, you know, uh, too far of a distance. Make sure that they are starting to play catch in a progressive way, like, you know, work backwards. So yeah. okay, start with your release point and then, you know, move your upper body and then move your lower body, then move everything together. Um, and so if they don't have the knowledge as a parent, like, which I don't expect that they do, they're taking I mean, most t- of them are just like dads and like, right. yeah, yeah. So played like, a little bit back in their day. Exactly. So it's like the game is always evolving and ever changing. And so if I don't, or if someone else doesn't give them the knowledge to understand how to potentially create better mechanics and create uh, better emotions for their son or daughter, like their potential might be capped out at a certain age. Right. Yeah. You know, and again, not everybody's athletic. Not everybody has the gene or the ability, right. To make it to a certain level. But, you know, if you give them the opportunity to learn the proper way that helps at least mitigate, you know, some of that potential, right. Or yes. lack of potential. Right. Cause if I'm 12 and I'm not throwing the ball hard and I don't have any other way of throwing or know any other way of throwing and I don't see success, well, that 12-year-old 12-year-old might not want to play anymore. It has to be fun. They have to see a little bit of enjoyment. Right. So, And that's the kind of like the end goal is to empower the coaches. Um, obviously, I want to continue working with the kids, but um, that gap between lesson one and lesson two or lesson three and lesson four they need to the kids need to be learning the same thing mm-hmm. and be forced to practice relatively the same thing so um i you know i've written up the program i've written everything up and you know obviously once the circumstances open up where we can do more human interaction um the plan is to to host 20 to 30 coaches every session and to to show them that hey like here is how you can become you know a coach right a, yeah. a, of proper mechanics and throwing mechanics and that could be for pitchers position players or outfielders, right? Whatever. You have to learn how to throw the baseball the right way. Well, I I love the teach the teachers thing. Like that's something with this platform and my nutrition, my health stuff that I really want to do because for me, when I was younger, I didn't have the knowledge and it sounds so simple, nutrition or whatever. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Right. And I think when you can teach a teacher, so if I can teach our generation, then the younger kids growing up, they just have better foundation from their parents and stuff and just to grow that knowledge and I just think it's so powerful, man, what you're doing. Like, it'll make a difference. Because I, when I was that kid, I needed it. Sure. And there could be a baseball kid out there, you don't know who it is, that just needs the better guidance so his arm doesn't get screwed up yeah. someday and get the injuries. Yeah, of course. And again, like, I don't think that I know everything. I don't have the answers for everybody. But if I can give some knowledge to those coaches that are working with the kids on a day-to-day basis at their practices, like, there can only be a positive benefit from that, right? Absolutely. You know, I'm not overcomplicating it, making their practice plans and schedules, but it's giving them the ability to promote the right way to throw and arm health and, you know, hopefully create a longer future for the athletes that that are playing. Yeah, and I love that because you're going into it not like, hey, this is the only way to do it. This is the best way. Like, You're giving coaches more tools. And the more tools, the more knowledge we have, the more we can build our perspective and our own ideas on all of it, which is awesome. Is there like a reason that you kind of want to give back or really help this? Or I know you're a baseball guy. Yeah, I think 
I mean, I just, I guess I see a lot of parents and coaches that do things the old way, right? Mm -hmm. And the old way is not the right way anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And the old way was the way I learned, right? And it is what it is, right? I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong in a sense, but the way that we utilize data and the way to, the way that we break down mechanics, like we now know that there are certain points in a delivery that a pitcher needs to be in in order to be effective and to stay healthy. Um, and that gets way more complicated and, and, and something that you talk to like a high school player about or a college player about, but um, you have to build up the base. And I was like, well, like I can't do it to everybody. I can't, I mean, I was doing 40 kids in two hours, you know, running this pitching lesson. I'm like, I can't like watch all these kids at the same time. Can't do it right. Yeah. You know, and if I'm going to be, or if I want to create a, uh, some sort of impact right on the game, it's like, it's got to start with the people who are coaching these kids. Right. And so that, that's where the idea came from is to say, Hey, like, why don't I host a presentation, you know, or a lesson plan for coaches in the field or in a classroom or split it up, you know, and, and see what the response is out of it with why is that a association? Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing that, man. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna be a growth process, I'm sure, but oh, I'm sure. looking forward to see where that goes. All right, but I know we got to get out of here soon. Yeah. But I got uh, two more questions for Uh-oh. you for the end here. Um, the first one is: Do you have like a why statement you live by, or just kind of you know a reason that you wake up specifically? It's tough, right? Like I I definitely think that it's important to have like a why statement um, or a reason that I wake up. Um, I guess like a lot of it, I guess the why is to enjoy every day as, as it is, right? Like the past is something that is in the past and you can't change that. Right. And why would you worry about the future when the future is unknown? Right. Mm. So it's, you wake up and I meditate and it's about being in the present and being in the moment, right. And, And living life in the moment. Right. And not to say that you can't dream or you can't think about what's going to be, uh, or what's going to happen in the future, but to consume yourself with those two things, the past and the future, that creates a toxic environment within yourself. So the why would be to, you know, as cliche as it sounds, is like live every life in the moment, right? Mm. And and I think that there's more to that, right, than that like surrounding notion of like, oh, like you only live once or, you know, you know, he's like not thinking about his future or, you know, whatever. So like, there's things that have happened in my past that don't go away. There's things in my future that I can't control and I don't know what's going to happen. Right. But what I can control is what I am right now. Right. So if I can't control what I am right now, then what's the point. Right. So I think all that comes together in the sense of, okay, understanding my thoughts, understanding, um, you know, why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking and then making decisions off of the things that I want to do. And then living in that moment is important. I think that culminates into the same thing, right? Meditating and and that thought process and that train of thought is is important, right? And um, I think life is hard, and it always is hard. It's always going to be hard, but we tend to make things more complex than uh, they have to be, right? And that is, I guess, my why statement is to live life in the moment, but with all those, you know, previous statements that that support that. I love that, man. Yeah. I mean, life is made up of all the small moments, right? Exactly. That's what it is. It's amazing. All right, but last question here. Yeah. All right. So we're saying we're down the road. 
you know, you got a couple kids. They got, you know, they're starting to get their arm warmed up. You're going to be some stub baseball players. But uh, you got your kids. You know, you built whatever you want to build. You, you know, your wife, whatever you're doing. And, um, you know, you can only tell your kids three things. They're growing up. They're starting to become the person they want to be. Uh, or they're just starting to, like, learn about the world. They're just starting to learn about this crazy thing we call life. So what are... You know, just three pieces of advice. If you had to give them your biggest three, you got your kids saying it here, what are three things to help them live happy, healthy, and, you know, just a fulfilled life? This is a loaded question, for sure. <laughs> yeah, this is a big one to finish. Um, I, I think, like, the first thing is to follow your passion. Um, passions change, though, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, if, if it's not one thing it, that is, if it's something that it's unattainable right now, okay, well, what can you do to work towards that, right? Um, uh, and that passion, right? And the, the second thing would be to work hard, right? Like you got to understand that there's somebody that's always better than you, somebody that's always willing to put in more time and energy and effort into you. And to be a kid and understand that's hard, right? Mm. So it's 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 about discipline and creating the discipline within your children um, in a positive way, right? And so like, doesn't mean that I don't enjoy my work, my 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 day to day work, but um, to have a passion is important, right? Because yes. that's where your, you know, your, your true, um, like the true colors kind of show, and, and you can tell somebody is really like into um, into what, what they're, they're doing. About. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think uh, a big thing for me is empathy, right? Is is forgiveness and empathy is mm. it's a it's way more powerful than um, animosity and hatred. Mm. Um, I, I think that there's times to be angry and there's times to be mad, but to understand someone's point of view, right. Um, understand what they're going through, right. Understand the things that may have culminated into why they're doing what they're doing. Right. So understanding it, right. That what they might be doing might not be right, but, um, to understand that, that and have empathy for them, um, and to potentially have, the, the ability to provide forgiveness to them is, is super important. And so those those three things, right? Like, you know, follow your passion, you know, work hard and discipline and then being empathetic and, and having forgiveness is, is, I think, really important to uh, human interaction and creating like uh, relationships with people. That's amazing, buddy. You're a bad man, Jacob Booten. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. All right, buddy. All right. I love it. If you're really enjoying the episode or you're just a big Boone fan like I am, we have another 30 minutes of um, Jacob talking about his baseball career from his college experiences to, you know, the struggles and trials he went through in the minor leagues trying to make it to the big, big leagues. So enjoy, everybody, and thank you for listening. Yeah, Minnesota loves their sports. People just love going outside and playing. There's so many different rec leagues. and It's good, though. I mean, I think it's partly, like, this attitude and mindset of, okay, you only get, like, three months to to be outside, and you want to slam as much in as possible. But, I mean, you know, a lot of Minnesotans like, you know, ice fishing and their winter sports like snowmobiling and, you know, skiing and snowboarding. So Yeah. um, Outdoorsy. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely more of an outdoorsy place than uh, South Florida, in my personal opinion. (laughs) So we said, or you said you took four years off. Uh, For those who don't know, Jacob played in the minor leagues with the Cardinals for about three and a half, four years, four seasons. And uh, let's just talk about kind of college baseball and how you got into that uh, profession for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so grew up in northern suburbs of Chicago. Um, was not really recruited out of my junior year. I mean, I was tall and lanky, but um, wasn't throwing super hard. And you know, you grow like six inches in about three and a half, four months, right? It's kind of you grow, like, yeah, we don't, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I obviously blessed with the height, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to have the coordination, and then the muscle kind of come from come behind it, right? And and build out your your body frame. Um, yep. But like the length that I grew. Um, over that summer, you know, instead of throwing 82, 84, I was throwing like 87, 89, right? Um, so I went to a fall league, um, like a prep baseball report fall camp, which is like eight weeks. And you're just playing against other guys, uh, in the, in the local area. Yeah. In Chicago. Um, yeah. In the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, God, you know what his name is? I think his name is Mark Wagner. Mark Wagner found me. He was a assistant head coach at Bradley university and, Mark Wagner, Dewey Calmer, those guys recruited me like a week before I get to campus. They all quit. No, well, you Dewey, lost your well, staff. Dewey, well, Dewey retired, yeah. Okay. So then you bring in this guy, Elvis Dominguez from Eastern Kentucky. He wipes out his whole coaching staff and brings on his own guys. So uh, I actually had the option from the NCAA to say, hey, like I can go anywhere I want from mm. a Division One standpoint, but not lose any eligibility. Right. But it's like, July 30th. So, yeah. Like, I got to go to school in a week. Right. And I'm like thinking, like, that sounds like a nightmare, right? Like, that sounds absolutely terrible to go through this whole process again. And yeah. I'm really not going to get any tuition or scholarship towards, you know, or at least an athletic scholarship towards what I want to do. Right. Um, sure. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I'll just stick with Bradley and, you know, meet these coaches and figure it out. Right. Um, that's sweet. So what was it like playing baseball with this new staff? I mean, uh, how'd it, that work out? It was good. I mean, like, I got a pretty good, you know, I guess, like, within the game of baseball, like, as a pitcher, if you're on a, if you're on the staff, like, you always have an opportunity, right? Like, this is what I kind of learned, like, throughout my career is, like, if you're a pitcher, like, you always have the opportunity to throw, whether it is you're the Friday guy, right, you're the ace, or if you're the closer, or if you are a guy that's struggling, right, and needing to get into the coach's good graces, right, there's always that opportunity to say, okay, like, let me show out yeah. and show you what I can do, right? You always have to pitch, right? Like, pitching always, like, you know, whether you're down 20 runs or up 20 runs, or if you're, right, like, in a uh, highly competitive game, right? like, there's a place for you to progress, right, yeah. within – the coach's good graces. So right, if you're out in um, left field, you may never get an opportunity to show what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, you might come in as a freshman, right? And there's a junior that's an all-American left fielder, right? And well, you're not going to play over him, right? You yeah. might play once every two weeks when he needs a day off or on a back-to-back doubleheader, right? Mm-hmm. So like as a pitcher, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, it doesn't matter, right? You will eventually have this opportunity. And it's what do you do with that opportunity? Right. Um so I got into, I think, like, in my opinion, you know, the the good graces of, of the coaches, right? Like, it was opening weekend, my freshman year, we were down it was in Memphis, yeah, Memphis, Tennessee, and it's, like, kind of, like, this invitational, like, 
I couldn't even tell you what the other two schools were. I think it was like <laughs> Tennessee and then Belmont University and then University of Memphis. Okay. And it was the first game. I mean, talking like freezing, like middle of February. Oh, Like God. probably like 35, 40 degrees. Yeah. And it was a night game. And oh. I don't, you know, I don't really remember the score, to be honest. But like, I know I came in the seventh inning. First game I've ever seen in college, right? Mm-hmm. Like first game I've ever been in. And I throw three scoreless with like seven K's and like have a, like a really good, like first outing. Um, and like kind of like ever since then, like, I think that, um, I had a good, uh, standing with the coaches. Um, I struggled with command a little bit, um, too many walks to be honest throughout my college career. Um, I was always like, I want to be like the guy, right? Yeah, Um, for sure. I wasn't really that like, I think from a mental standpoint, I wasn't that great, right? Like I wanted to be, you know, in this place of like, give me the ball whenever it counts, right? But I needed a lot of growth and development internally from a mental standpoint. So like, where where did you feel like you were failing mentally? On so like, it, this is kind of, this could go on for a while, but um, my sophomore and my junior year, right? I was a starter and non-conference games and like you always start out the season against non-conference games like somewhere in february and you have like february march and part of april where you're just playing non-conference games before your your conference season starts and like both years i was number one and two in the nation in era and like batting average against me no way nation right like every both years going up into conference right i walked a ton of guys it was terrible but like when guys made contact, it was soft. It was yeah. balls of pop fly or I was striking guys out. And I was like, as soon as conference play started, it, was, it wasn't that the competition got like exponentially greater. It was more like, oh, shit, we're playing Wichita State in Wichita State. Or, oh, like we're playing, you know, Indiana State and they have, you know, A, B, and C on their lineup, right? So, like, I, I kind of got in like my own head of like thinking too much. And it's like... Imagine like, you know, uh, Northern Illinois, like when they went to go play Florida State in like 2015 in like the Orange Bowl, right? Like the name already beat them. Gra- I mean, yeah. granted, like Northern Illinois isn't going to have like as highly touted of players yeah, for sure. as a Florida State. But like that level of talent and disparity, like it was like the name already beat you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like NIU's got some great athletes, like they're going to compete and they're going to – they're D1 school, right? And there's no reason that they couldn't beat Florida State, but it was just like the name kind of beats you. The or pressure like, and the confidence Apple. comes down a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. The- so, you know, I, and I guess like it was more or less like I was in my own head of, okay, like the name of these guys that we're playing against, like I know that they're going to be second rounders or, you know, top 10 rounders. And, you know, they've got this like clout behind their program, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I was just a kid. Like, I just like, I didn't have that like, bulldog mentality and that like fight or flight like you know Plus, attitude right yeah and for it sure was, like something that i had to learn over time that um didn't really happen until like professional baseball right yeah and even then like the mental game was like totally different um i think that's a super relatable thing too is like because you can try to have confidence and you can like you know work at being confident or whatever but like subconsciously it's hard until you really just get comfortable and do it and, yeah you know i, I Again, like, it, I don't think it was necessarily like a lack of preparation either, right? It was 
it was just like the ability to calm myself and say, okay, like provide um, more like positive thought process, right? Like don't let the negative thought process get embedded in your head. Cause like as soon as that happens, like it's over, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the confidence goes away. The, the, this like swagger, this like bulldog mentality, like all that goes away, right? Like yeah. as soon as you have doubts creep into your mind and those things snowball, right? Like your mind oh has a gosh. funny way of like taking those thoughts and saying like, yeah, you know what? You're, you're right. Like you, you aren't good enough. Right. Like, and you're like, man, like I don't want to feel this way. Like this isn't something that like I, I agree with, but like, um, yeah, it was some interesting times, I guess, in college. Like, and I, you know, I don't think I had a bad career, right? Um, obviously it allowed me to play past that, right? Yeah. Um, that's not right. Like with my mechanics, like I'm not being, I'm not utilizing the leverage that I have at six, seven, six, eight to throw hard. Yeah. You knew you had more in the tank. Right. So, um, I, uh, you know, the draft came and went, I, I had these expectations of, of being drafted, right. Which I wasn't, uh, which, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just kind of like one day I got a call maybe like four or five days after the draft, like roughly like, yeah, four or five days. Um, and I was actually in Southern Illinois in Carbondale. Okay. Um, and you know, I get the call at night and his name is Chris Gross, the, the, the scout from the Cardinals. And he's like, Hey, like, you know, what do you think? Or what are the, what what are you, what are your thoughts on you know playing professional baseball and it's like i mean this is one of those things that as a little kid you dream about right For and sure. then you know in high school you're like okay like is this actually like a possibility right you know is this going to actually happen you know yeah. and try to think of other things that you might do in your life and um i was again fortunate and blessed to grow and have the opportunity to play cl- collegiate baseball and um you know move on forward uh so obviously the answer is yes right um and so he's like, okay, well, it's not official. Like, I'll let you know in the morning. So, mm-hmm. oh boy. Well, well, so I get a call at like seven in the morning from him. He's like, hey, like, welcome to the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Right. And you're just like, almost like at a loss for words. Right. And it's, it's kind of like, yeah, like this like, is dope. Like, this is dope. Jump like, up and yeah, down. yeah, like this is dope, right? Yes. Like, I just signed for a thousand bucks. Like, <laughs> you're a professional baseball player. I would have taken a McDonald's gift card, you know, for yeah. me to go play. Um, yes. So you get this call. You made pro baseball. You have your shot, like yeah, yeah. like a childhood dream. And then now the real work actually is starting. Like now it's time to go to work. What? Dude, way out of my league. Way out Dude, of your league. Way huh? out of my like and to, for those that don't understand like minor league baseball, like you've got triple A, double A, high A, low A, and those are your four major full season teams. Then you've got like mm-hmm. short A season, advanced rookie ball, and then rookie ball. So like there's seven le- levels within the Cardinals organization Jeez. at the time, right? Yeah. They're talking about eliminating these short seasons, okay. um, you know, within minor league baseball right now, but that's a moot point. Um, so what level did you start at? So I go to Johnson City, Tennessee, and um, that's advanced rookie baseball. So it's, again, it's like low on the totem pole, but it's still professional baseball. And I'm like, whatever, like this is an opportunity. It's time um, to build. Yeah, yeah. And so like, it was just the, the level of talent, like even at like this like rookie baseball level. I mean, I'm 22 at the time or 21 at the time, turning 22, and like I'm playing with like 16 year olds, 
like 17 year olds. Like you were talking about young guys young and we're talking guys. about like raw talent, mm. you know? And I was telling you earlier, like, you know, our third baseman who's again, uh, his name's Sam Tuil Valala and he's in the big leagues now as a pitcher, but, um, he was taking some ground balls and like, again, I've played against some guys that were pretty good and like seen pitchers and seen guys that go into the big leagues and played against guys in college all the time. Right. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen a ball like thrown across a diamond like that. I mean, this guy, this kid was throwing the ball 95 to hundred miles an hour over the, across the diamond. Just slinging it. Huh? And, yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, like, like there's a, there's in the, there is a clear and obvious difference between like what I saw there and what I've seen in like college and in the past. And I was like, like this is like serious, right? Like, yeah. this is, like these guys like don't I mean these guys are really good. Right. Um and again, like you, you have to remember, like at this time, like I'm not throwing like super hard, which is probably part of the reason why I didn't get drafted, right? Like I was like 88 to 91, 92, maybe. Um so where'd you get the speed? Yeah, so like you know, there's uh there's a guy that was in the Cardinals organization, his name's Brent Strom, and he's actually now the big league pitching coach for the Houston Astros. Oh, wow. Um so he was the pitching coordinator, which basically is like the pitching coordinator for the entire minor league system. Um and it, it was just like a ten minute conversation, dude. One ten minute conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So think about that. Like you go your entire life, right? And you are taking lessons from you know, I don't know, dude, probably like dozens of people you yeah. know, throughout my throughout the history of, of my baseball career. And and it's not to like knock on any of the guys that like I worked with, right? Or like, you know, took lessons from, but it's like I'm telling you, a 10 minute conversation right before I threw a bullpen. He's just like, you're not using you're not leveraging your 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 lower half, like you're collapsing on your backside. Like you gotta you gotta like step into it. Like you gotta like make sure that like, you're being aggressive with your motion, like like make sure you're using your legs, like this and that. Right? He goes goes on and on in this ten minute conversation. And I was like, dude, this makes so much sense. Yeah, it just clicked. Oh my god, it clicked. And I was like, whoa, like this is weird. You got to so like, activate the lower body, huh? Yeah, That's yeah. I mean, yeah, basically, essentially, like activating lower body, like to give you like a, a a verbal analogy, right? It's like if I'm gonna go race a car against another car, and it's a quarter mile race. Uh, when the light turns green, you want to have the foot on the pedal and just roll. Like you want to go all the way down to that quarter mile mark and try to beat that other person. Right. Yeah. Well, essentially what I was doing was first, like half of that race, it was good. Right. For me, I'd pump the brakes, right. With think about my momentum. Right. So it's like, yeah. I get my, my momentum going, I pump the brakes, I stop and then I go again. Right. So it's a like, hitch in there. yeah, you have a, like a little like decrease in momentum and speed okay. and energy. So, Obviously, I'm not going to throw as hard, right? And that car's not going to win the race because you're hitting the brakes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had this 10 minute conversation and like, how and fast it, did it come? The speed, one pitch. Don't like, like, like when you're saying, I'm saying like it, it happened that next throw. Wow. You know what I mean? And then like the next throw is a little bit better, and then a little bit better, right? Because it's now you're kind of like yeah, your 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 CNS is starting to figure out what your body's doing, right? And and connect everything together. Um, and so, like, it, it was just kind of like, oh, like, this makes sense. Like, I get it, right? Like, okay, now how do I, like, now how do I do this in the game, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess my mindset kind of shifted and changed a little bit when I went to pro ball, and it kind of sounds ass backwards, to be honest. But, like, dude, like, I 
I mean, when I was saying like Wichita States would beat me and like the name of the school would already beat me in conference play before it even, before I even took the mound. Yeah. Like when I played professional baseball, it was like, dude, like the Bluefield Blue Jays or like, you know, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers or like, you know, the Cedar Rapids Colonels, right? Like it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like you play against these teams, you're like, dude, I have no idea who's on this team. It could be like, it could be three first rounders from the SEC, right? That are batting three, four, five. But yeah. I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like I just like, I went to this like mindset of like, I don't know who you are and I don't really care. Right. Yes, because then, like, that's I think awesome. that's like, I got over that little hump of, okay. Um, the name of the team and the name of the players aren't going to beat me. Like if anything beats me, it's myself. Yeah. So I kind of like the next year I went into the season, like with this like attitude and like a little bit of like, okay, like, F you mentality, right? And I kind of became, like, I became the person I wanted to be on the mound as I was when I played summer baseball in college. Because mm. the same thing happened in summer baseball. Like, you'd go away in the summer to, like, Vermont or Cape Cod or whatever, right? And you're, again, playing against, like, random teams with guys all over the country. But, like, I found my success there. Just playing your game. Yeah, and so, like, I just carried that over into professional baseball and like again i'm not saying i like elevated through the ranks of of this organization but like i thought i played pretty well like i had a really good second year that Mm. um i thought was going to project me into a place that i wanted to be within the organization and i was in a place where i was like doesn't matter don't care like who you are where you come from like it didn't matter. Like I was going to get you out and I was in this like good place. It's a Michael Jordan mindset, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it like, it really like, it was kind of like a flow state. Every time I was out there, you get into this flow state and you're just like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how I'm going to get this thing done. And there's nobody that's going to be in my way. Right. Don't do it. So last game of the year, so we're going, going to the playoffs. We are the number two seed, I think in the league, because no, no, we're the number one seed. So the way that it works is the first game is on the road, and then you get two. It's a best of three series in the minors. So one game on the road, two games um, at home. So we go on the road. We're playing Tri-Cities. Um, it's a Houston Astros organization. Uh, and so ninth inning comes around. I'm hot. Like, I've already thrown 40, 45, 50 pitches. Like, I'm a reliever, so I'm not a starter in the minors. So I'm like, okay, you're a reliever. My pitch count, like, probably is like 20 to 30 pitches. Like, and then I start to like deteriorate. Yeah, for sure. You're throwing heat. Yeah, trying to at least, right? And so I get to the game. It's game one. Um, I basically like, I was pretty gassed getting into it, but the adrenaline, like being in this like championship series, right? Um, kind of like just masked everything, dude. And like, I get the first two guys out, get the next guy out, right? So we go, it was a tie ball game, I guess, to give you context, right? Yeah. And we're the away team, or we're the yeah, away team. So it's the bottom of the ninth. So I like get three guys out. Like, we go to the 10th. We hit a leadoff bomb, right? Nice. And so the like coach is like, you're staying out there. And I was like, okay, like, time to go win it, right? So to win game one. And so I go out there and like the second batter, I got the first guy out. Second batter, I threw like a fastball like inside, and I just was like, my arm popped. Like, I was no. like, nothing, nothing felt right. And I'm like, again, adrenaline's rolling. Don't care. Like I threw the pitches, like I know something's wrong, right? So 
get the first or the second guy out, get the third guy out on a real questionable call. I mean, this ball was like six inches inside and he called strike three. So no like, way. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I get the W in, in game one. So after it popped, you still threw. So I threw you the next two it. guys. Yeah. Okay. I finished the out, finished the inning. Um, and I go upstairs, like we're all hyped, right? We we're going home to, to win one game for the championship. Right. That's so sick. And, um, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, so I ice, I ice down my arm. I'm like taking as much meds as I can because I'm like, dude, my arm is like shot. Mm-hmm. It hurts. Um, they gave me the next day off. Right, there's no off day, so I got game two off. We lose game three. Phone rings and they're like, if we get a tie game or take the lead, like Budin, you're in. Oh, and boy. dude, like I didn't play catch game two. Didn't touch a baseball. My arm hurt so bad. Game three, I was like in pain playing catch. So I was like, all right, like, you know, I, we kind of like chalked it up as a loss. Like in my mind, I was like, all right, like this isn't good. Like we're down three runs. It's the top or it's the bottom of the ninth, right? Like nobody's on base. There's like two outs. Yeah. Two outs. We had one out left. You don't know if you want to go in and push it. And Well, I mean, what are the odds that we come back and score three runs with two outs? Yeah. Right. So like double off the wall. Double off the wall, like, walk, walk, bases are loaded, like bases are loaded. We're down two runs and like our best hitters up. And I'm on the mound. Like I was playing, I was like getting hot. I was yeah. like, I might go in mm-hmm. a base hit. Like we're scoring two and I'm in the game. And like, not to say fortunately, but like we ended up, you know, the guy at the dish ended up getting out. I don't remember what he did. Um, but I was talking to the catcher and I was like, dude, like, how hard was I throwing? He's like, you might have been throwing like 80 miles an hour. Until it hurts so bad. Did you not end up going in? No, yeah. So like we They're ended up done. losing the game, right? Which kind of sucked. We we lost. Um, so you go through the off season, right? And arms like progressively getting better because I'm not throwing, right? And yeah. I did strengthening and I did as much as I could go to the, my off season regiment. Um, you didn't throw start, it all? Well, no, I mean, like, I worked back up, right? So I okay. did strength, like, worked out, and then worked my way back up into, like, a good throwing program. Um, and then a week before my third season, right, so my second spring training, a week before I throw a bullpen, actually went really well. Um, go home ice down, which is just like what I'm accustomed to, right? Yeah. Uh, I was like, man, I'm pretty sore today. Like, think about like your back of your scapula, like to like the top of your shoulder, like where your rotator cuff is. I was like, man, I'm pretty sore. Woke up the next day, couldn't brush my teeth. Oh, man. Like, I'm telling you, like, couldn't brush my teeth. And like, yeah. trying to brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand is like a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, so brutal. You know, like, yeah, it's just like super painful. And I'm like, okay, like something's wrong, you know. And then, you know, to make a long story short, is basically I ended up going into MRI, you know, torn rotator cuff and partially torn labrum, right? So it's like, oh man, how bad was it? It wasn't like it was falling off the bone bad. It wasn't like this was, you know, a, a, I mean, you need surgery right away. But the evaluation was like, if you get surgery, it's like you're out for like year, year and a half. Like shoulders don't come back. Yeah, like it's very rare that they I've come torn back. my complete labrum. Yeah, right and one. like especially with like the stress that we're putting on our motion, right? It's hard for the the shoulder to recover and to perform at an elite level. Um, uh, perform well to perform at an elite level uh, as you once were. I mean, it's not like it's impossible, but it's just like 
it's impractical. So I was like, what is my other option? So I took like eight weeks of uh, physical therapy, right? I'm reporting to spring training already hurt, which is terrible yeah. because like I again wanted to go up to the next level. You had, um, you had momentum, you were rolling. Too. Yeah, 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 dude, like great season. Like, and it's just kind of like that momentum hit this huge brick wall. Um, and, you know, I had to like recover and it was like, okay, well, we look at film and we look at tape and it's like, okay, well, why did this happen? So, you know, my, my throwing motion and my mechanics weren't like the best in the sense of there's a lot of loading on my shoulder. When I say loading, I mean, um, when I went to throw, I was using my hips and I was rotating pretty well, but it was too late, right? In, in okay. the mechanics. So it happened too late in the throwing motion. Um, so what would happen is a lot of the stress would fall onto my back right shoulder. Okay. Um, the process of, of relearning, again, this is not necessarily like how to relearn how to throw, but you have to think about like, say you're like, you're a golfer, right? So yeah. you, you, you golf a certain way, right? And you, you have a certain swing and mechanics, right? Let's say you do that for, I don't know, 20 years of your life. It's so hard to change. Think about like, oh. and then like, that's millions of reps, dude, oh millions, right? So now it's like, I'm 24. Um, and again, this isn't necessarily an excuse to why things didn't turn out the way it was, but like, it was challenging. Like it was challenging to, to change my mechanics and to change the way I throw, right? And to think differently. And then have the confidence and to actually perform. Right. So like, it, you know, it, it became a challenge for me to, to try and learn a different way to throw. And it, and it might not sound like it was super complex change, but like everything changed, right? Mm -hmm. The whole thing changed. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just go through the, go through the grind and, you know, I was fortunate enough to again, play two more seasons and make it up to high A, uh, competitively. Um, but it's just like, just wasn't wasn't there mentally again and uh um you know like my third year oh man yeah my third year i hit two guys in the head in a row with curveballs oh no and like so did you hit the them in the head on accident with yeah totally an accident like okay this would be a fastball if i don't want to throw it right? yeah that's what i thought but like it, it just kind of slipped and i let the let the release point go too early and then after the two in a row like i just like Cause I had gotten back to a place where I was pretty comfortable with my mechanics, like okay. yeah, yeah. you know, a place where I was good, and I think I was in a confident, you know, semi-confident place. And then th that happened, and I was like, I went right back to like square one, and I was like, what's going on? Like, why am I? Why did I hit those guys? And then I started to baby it, right? And I didn't trust it. Yes, I, I didn't allow my 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 mechanics and my trust and and the confidence in myself to to get back to where I was. And a dude, it just like snowballed, man. Well, I can relate to that so much with football, catching the ball with drops. Oh my gosh, the, I struggled in my latter years in uh, playing college ball with a couple drops. I didn't drop any my freshman and sophomore year, and then I had a couple drops, and then it just is in your head. It's a dangerous, slippery slope, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, I'm assuming it's got to be the same place. So you just you go back into a place like from a mindset, and you're like. You just started thinking too much, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's where it got to me. And it's funny because, like, when I went to play back in Carver, you know, town ball, you know, I was playing catch and I was kind of still doing the same thing, but I was removed from the situation of I need to get this done because it's my career, like, depends on it. Where I was playing catch and I was like, whoa, like, I knew exactly what I was doing wrong. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, if I was able to take just, like, step away from the whole thing and be like, 
let's look at this thing holistically and like let's look at this thing like you know from a different perspective and, and try to really concentrate on okay why is this happening um you know again not that I wasn't trying to figure it out but I was playing catch with you know you know whoever and I was like this was like this most simple fix you know yeah, ever right for sure you know and, and it's like wow like that sucks like it sucks that like one of the coaches wasn't able to say anything or maybe he was saying something and I wasn't listening or I didn't hear it. Right. You know, and it's like, it's what could have, should have, would have been. Right. Um, So when, when did you kind of know professional ball was done? So I was going to my fourth or my fourth season, my, my third spring training Um, did. I mean, velocity just dropped back to like where I was in college. Like I was just trying to aim the ball. I wasn't really like, I was trying so hard to throw that it just like worked against me. Yeah. Um, I can understand and so went that. through spring training, you know, probably like second or third week after spring training when I went to extended to like work on some things. Uh, you know, you get the you get the call into the office and you're like, all right, like I know this is happening, right? Um so yeah, I mean, get the call and you know, you you sit down with the coaching staff and they explain, and I said I understood. And so then it's like, okay, you know what next like so they're like okay well your flight's leaving in like six hours so pack your shit up at in the hotel get the hell out of here you know wherever you're at and like you know this is when you're going home so yeah man dude it happens really quick and so you go home and you're like okay like there's two options right it's to continue to play or to go find work Mm -hmm. um and i just was like not i was just not ready to play independent baseball. Like I continued to throw and I continued to pitch and throw bullpens and like keep my arm in shape. And, um, you know, a guy I was working with was like, Hey, like, you know, I can get you some, some private, uh, some private, um, tryouts with like the Rangers or the pirates. Um, and I was like, dude, like my velocity's not there. Like you were still throwing a little bit, kind of contemplating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely like, if I can get my velo up, like, I'm there. I want to play, but like the mind, the mental place that I was at and the, the, the toll of just like the grind, dude, like I was ready to be done. Yeah. And and it's like, it kind of sucks. Part of me is like, Oh, I wish I would have like kept going and, you know, done the whole, like kind of see it through to the end. But I was like, you know what? This is my end, right? This is the end of the path. Right. And this is one career of mine. That's going to be, you know, that chapter closes right and it's time to move on to the to the next thing right 